Hello and welcome to the Behind the Headlines podcast, brought to you by Bristol's independent media, Bristol 24-7. My name is Betty Woolerton and each week we bring you compelling and fascinating conversations from people all over our amazing city, delving behind the headlines of Bristol's news, culture and more. Hi, I'm Mia, a reporter at Bristol 24-7. This week, I spoke to Colin Moody and Tom Whitson about their debut feature film, What Does Normal Look Like? The film explores the impact of the pandemic on Bristol's creative community, charting the way the city's cultural sector found ways to continue their work and come together when they were forced to close up shop in March 2020. 2-2? Okay. Yeah. That's coming through... Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> I'm Tom Whitson. I'm a filmmaker and photographer and videographer. I work with lots of musicians in Bristol and make music videos. And then the main project I've been working on the last few years with Colin has been this feature documentary called What Does Normal Look Like? And I'm Colin Moody. I'm also a photographer and a filmmaker. Our worlds did not collide at all until <laughs> COVID. So the first thing I want to say, is Tom's introduced the film already, but I would say... I realised during the first lockdown I need to be, keep on being creative and deal with what's happening in some creative way. So I put a call out for go for, anyone want to go for a walk who's a creative, just photographing and talking, socially distanced, and Tom replied. That's how we started. Just a simple walk. Yeah, there's been this walk. nice parallel between me and Colin meeting in lockdown, doing a few photo walks where we yeah. were documenting how barren and empty and devoid of life these areas of Bristol that were normally popping and full of people connecting and dancing and clubbing. That was kind of where the project started. And then we started filming interviews. And so it's kind of nice that mine and Colin's filmmaking partnership has grown with the film as well. Totally. Definitely. So that was three years ago. Mm. The first lockdown, you know, that first lockdown, I was immediately putting a call out. If you want to go a little bit of, of stuff before that, before me and Tom met, was that me and Annie McGann from the Safe Bristol Nightlife campaign were working oh, yeah. together to try and do a book about night cultures. And as soon as the lockdown hit, she was saying we need to look at the clubs that are shut down. So Annie McGann, who's associate producer on the film, she worked with me, just me and her, to get little short two-minute documentaries made about individual pubs and clubs that were shut to show, just to show the world what was happening, to show their Facebook group that there's life is continuing, even if everything's on pause. So that happened, and then I was like, I need to do this walk. I need just to go for walks and think about this, and that's how we and Tom met. And then we ran with that content and created a whole lot more content because we realised, because lockdown meant you couldn't go out, mm. We put the shout out to lots of people in the creative community that we know, other filmmakers, sound designers, sound, sound recordists, and said, what are you doing? And the stuff we got from them was really opened the box, didn't it, Tom? Yeah, and it meant that the, the filmmaking process was really reactive. We were reacting not just to circumstances of lockdown changing and new kind of issues coming to the fore that we felt like we had to explore and talk to people about, but also reacting to the work that the kind of key collaborators on the project gave us. Mm. And I think that collaboration means that the film has a really authentic perspective on mm. some of the issues of lockdown. Yeah. By working really closely with people who are naturally close to the subject matter, yeah. it's meant that 
there's been like an authenticity in the umbrella of lockdown experience mm -hmm. in the film. Well so, said. So before we kind of get into that, what? For people who don't know, what is the purpose yeah. of this? Of this film? Yeah, good point. Give us a, give us a summary. Yeah, important back step there. <laughs> um, so what the, is? So the film's film. called What Does Normal Look Like? And the title comes from uh, a speech in the film which was taken from a protest during lockdown. Uh, and the film is all about Bristol in lockdown. So how lockdown and COVID affected nightlife and culture the high street the high street and our minds young people's education mm. yeah yeah and so a lot of stuff that was already bubbling away before lockdown and that lockdown catalysted but also some new things that um some new challenges and problems mm. that the city and city's nightlife faced during lockdown and did you know that that was what it was going to be when you were first you know talking about it and filming it or we were looking for people who would help us to guide us through the story and me and Tom did talk early on about finding someone who's a creative person who could maybe be the person we follow you know like the spine of the story as it were someone who can guide you through that story and then I spotted on Instagram that Simon Holiday, a well-known photographer for the music scene uh, and sound recordist too there's lots of sound recording he'd been following Dan Johnson the drummer around and it was just one image I saw on Instagram of the drummer on his own under a you know not a tunnel but it was like outdoors somewhere and it was during lockdown and then Simon and me talked and you, me and Tom talked with Simon and he had these sound recordings of Dan and as soon as we heard that we realized we'd found someone who could guide you through the story mm. so there's lots of little discoveries like that along the way we've been guided haven't we Tom by the process mm. and we think that makes it quite unique as a documentary I don't think it makes it unique for Bristol Bristol is always guided by the process mm. it's a collaborative city and you'll see a lot of the content in the film is a lot of creatives and music people talking about how that actually works that, that you're never alone when you're a gigger you're never alone when you're a creative in this city. Collaboration is key, it is the life artery of our culture in this city. And we've realised that the film becomes about Bristol as much as about lockdown. Yeah, yeah, well said. And about how Bristol, as Colin has said, has a unique way of addressing things and a unique way of connecting and collaborating. And that, that was kind of heightened during lockdown. Mm. So there's, we all resorted to have to do Zoom calls with each other, and there were Zoom broadcasts from Bristol Beacon and other institutions, wow. uh, music institutions in the city, mm. and they were gratefully received. You'll hear responses from Jeff, big yeah Jeff, who goes around Jeff Art, and his art and his, how gigging, what gigging meant for him. I mean, someone who's at every you know four gigs a week every yeah. week to suddenly have none. You hear from him. You hear what his story is. LBJB's was a band that was operating out of the left bank and that left bank as they say in the film bailed really early mm. you know they shut their doors and they stayed shut so we their their reaction as a group on a one zoom call that tom did yet tom recorded talking to each other about not being able to even pick up the bass guitar because how it feels to pick it up well the way these people understand the community of the band and the community of being a band in a venue and that venue is for the city they were taught they talk very especially M M marcel isn't it mm -hmm. Marcel talks extensively about how he felt that what he was doing was almost like the freedom you get when you perform like that at a venue like that with the band that you know so well it's like the freedom you get that was reminiscent of the 1960s that idea of a freedom movement so Bristol is associated with the freedom movement. It's associated as a city of sanctuary. 
it's associated as a city of, of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And to have one Zoom call from a band who really nail it down when they talk to each other, not to us, but to each other about what they were doing when they were performing and when they, what it means when they can't perform, mm -hmm. that is a very powerful thread in the film, which you, I think helps you to understand the importance of us what, 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 of, of why we made the film in the first place, which is to actually give testimony to all these people, be they individuals or band members, about how to get through this. How are we going to get through this? And it is only by giving testimony to the pain that we can actually start to move towards healing. And I think just to build on that, the strength of Bristol's kind of uh, collaboration and creative community that we're getting at is kind of exemplified in like the push and pull of the film. So there are mm -hmm. stories like the one Collins just mentioned where the LBJBs lose their venue that they're gigging in three times a week and lose their kind of infrastructure and about what replaces that. But all the while there were also other new things popping up. Strange Brew was a new venue that was created in lockdown that was built by the community there. There's a nice line in the film where uh, Joe Evans, the kind of art facilitator at Strange Brew, describes how the DJ booth was made out of scrap metal. And so there's this kind of push and pull of even though things were taken away from us, there's always an energy and a kind of desire in Bristol to kick up new things and start new chapters. Yeah. And not just in the music and kind of nightlife industry, but also just in terms of community. Mm. One of the stories that comes to mind is uh, the story of Dove Gardens which was yeah. previously just kind of a rubble area near Dove Street in Kingsdown. And then Bernie, um, together with the kind of community of people and Dove Gardens, um, have completely renovated that land and turned it into a kind of community garden and a, and a space of brightness and flowers and colour. So I think that's a really stellar example of uh, being faced with hardship, Bristol, and Bristol's kind of energy coming up with a solution to that. We don't want to give away too much about the entire film. Please yeah. watch it, though. But the Dove Gardens is such a great example, Tom. Thank you for that. It's such an important example because what that, in many ways, that's what we as filmmakers were trying to do. Was we were to, we would what what Bernie does with the garden is what we as filmmakers have been trying to do, which is we have been connecting like crazy with all the creatives that we know of, sound people visual people, artists making little figurines they put in their window for the neighbours to see when they walk past during a lockdown walk. Why do that? Because it's so important. You know, all those examples we kept on finding was feed, feeding us to make us, to make this film as good as it could be, to testimony to the to the pain and the healing that would then hopefully come afterwards. Mm -hmm. So we felt that what we were doing was a bit like what Bernie was doing with the garment, which was like we were talking to our neighbours in the creative community and saying let's get this right let's make this story work and then we were showing sections of the film to people when they were ripening if you want to call it that mm -hmm. so like Carly Ackford the photographer we got the protest section nearly ready we knew it wasn't quite ready and we showed it to other collaborators like Carly Ackford who were there documenting what happened say during the Colston statue going in the harbour Black Lives Matter when George Floyd was so brutally murdered we were able to talk to him and get his testimony through his photography in the film. So here's an important point. We want to give agency to these people who are creatives to have hear their voice in the film. And we want to, as filmmakers, kind of step back and let those voices be heard, mm. which is so Bristol, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? <laughs>
How do you think you've done that then? I think we, we've worked for three years on this yeah. film, and I think a lot of that time was in the edit, in the post-production. Two evenings a week minimum, me and Tom in his, in his bedroom, editing, editing, editing. Mm. Trying to make sure that we can tell a collage movie, it's a collage documentary, it's an art house documentary, which is going to look in a very interesting way. The way things are cut together in the film is deliberately disruptive. You talk about the push and pull earlier in this interview. We want to keep pushing and pulling the audience to, to make them realize that something that me and Tom thought about very early on was that there's a collective hurt. There's like a national mental health crisis that's been caused by COVID because young people not having education apart from on a screen. That is impossible for that to work, but that's how it was done. Um, gig, people gigging, instead of picking up the bass guitar, picking up giant boxes of fruit and veg to do that instead. But there's been all this collective hurt, but also every individual and every group adapted, and we wanted to document that, because by documenting all of that and editing it for so long, we hope we've got the story right, that you can watch it and you can remember what it was like, but also maybe realize that there is still collective hurt, mm. and that we as a city, through films like this, hopefully, we'll find a way through the tunnel to get out the other side back into the light. You'll, you'll experience that. You'll experience that in the film. You see people testifying from like the Dare 2 Club about what it meant when they've... And then we were just getting ready and then it shut down again. And you need to hear from these people when they tell you that because it's in the tone of voice. You can see it in the interviews of what it actually meant, the hurt of like, I've just reordered 16,000 litres of beer and then I've got to pour it all down the drain. Again. Second time. Third time, didn't order the beer just in case. So there's this, there's a hesitancy and there's a, isn't there? There's a hesitancy that we all now have. Our job as filmmakers to make a thing that lets us all start talking to each other about these issues and to ask those questions. And that creates an atmosphere and a vibe that takes us back to lockdown. Mm -hmm. And that's such a big part of it as well. Like what you just described with lockdown ending and things opening up again and then things closing down again and this push and pull and how dizzying and like disorientating that was and exhausting and exhausting you know yeah just when you kind of just got a grasp on things and then they slip away and the the feeling and the form of that changes like we've pushed that stuff to the side Mm. but not far you know i think it's understandable that we've pushed a lot of the memories and hurt from that period Mm. to the side but I think it's just still sitting there. Mm. And I think people watching the film recently has kind of proven that there's a lot packed into that chapter of lockdown that by talking about and engaging with, there is use there. We want the film to be useful. We originally talked about the film as being like a cultural life raft. Mm. Our original approach was let's make sure we document all this creativity in the city as like a cultural lifeboat. But then we realised quite actually quite early on, didn't we, that actually the, 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 the hurt, the collective hurt, the individual hurt, people saying how they couldn't go back out to nightclubs because it just this part of their brain was just being cautious and saying, I just need to be in a safe space, I'll stay home. Mm. I'll stay home. Out four times a week, out zero times a week afterwards. Like, what part of your brain can now put all of that lived experience and say, I'm not going to do that anymore because that's not safe. It's a switch in your head that's been put there by COVID. We originally thought this is a lifeboat film. It's there to show, we, we, we thought we were gonna lose a lot of these clubs and they'd be gone, gone. But we realized quite quickly when we were filmmaking that there was new clubs, Strange Brew, Lost Horizon, like you were saying, Dare Shack. Mm. These places were actually 
saying we we know how important this is to our culture to all our cultures and individuals often the people who run who own those venues are testifying in the film about what their philosophy is of about why they why they know it matters so much to have a place to go especially for young people like cam and stuff like that yeah and that was one yeah there were a lot of kind of new discoveries that me and colin uh came across from interviewing people in the journey of the film and one of those was the young people's experience with lockdown mm. it was something that wasn't really uh given the time of day in the news and in just general kind of discussion and coverage of lockdown mm. and the interviews that we shot with young people and the people that we spoke to really made us realize that their voice was one that needed mm -hmm. to be vocalized and given a platform mm. um it was it was such a seismic thing to happen to people who uh, in a very formative period of their lives. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's one particular interview we did with two young people from, an, uh, from a sixth form college, uh, I think a sixth form college, they're certainly that sort of age, and they were like very articulate about understanding that they haven't been able to go out and that they've become cautious and that they, they know that they would have developed as young people by being able to socialise but not being able to socialise, they know they haven't had that experience. They're articulate enough to say that, but they know they've been damaged by the process. And we know as filmmakers, it is our responsibility as documentary filmmakers to, te to allow, allow those people to testify about that hurt. Mm. And at the same time, also, there's a lot of positivity in the film. You know, yeah, a I lot think, of yeah, positivity. That, that, that's a great thing to raise. And I think yeah, linking, very linking that positivity with these young people who say you've had that formative period of two or, two or three years where you would be going out and discovering music in the city and discovering where your lane was and what nice. kind of artists you were going to meet and interact with. If, that, if you're robbed of that opportunity, I genuinely think coming to see this film would open your eyes to uh, a creative community that you could reach out to and get involved with. Um, because even though the film is about a hard period of time, I think you leave it with a sense of optimism about the variety of creative opportunities there are in Bristol and how much of a sense of family there is in Bristol amongst creative people. Um, I really like the idea that young people who didn't get a chance to experience the city for themselves in those years yeah. can get a taste of what they can go out and experience now by seeing the film. One of the strongest elements of positivity for me I'm sure it's for you as well, Tom, is that when Dan Johnson was drumming and being recorded on his own with the sound recordist during lockdowns, and then we came to that to him after he'd had done that, and he's filmed with us for the film as well, those sound recordings of that drumming, listening to those syncopated beats echoing in the distance around the tunnel, mm -hmm. for me that is so... It, it's like it's telling you the beat continues, the beat goes on, the city beat will continue your individual beat but just by hearing that you lock on to that and we use that as filmmakers to be t to give you the ultimate positivity of if you come with us on this journey through this documentary beat by beat individual fragmented beat from Kayla Painter as well and Khan all the other composers who gave us their material so generously when we explained what we were doing everyone said yes these people have got reputations in this city for being international artists gave us their content and we worked with that because we wanted those beats and the music. The soundtrack to the film is the soundtrack to your route out through the tunnel back into the light.
I think one thing that was always in our minds when we set out to make it was for the film to be an opportunity for healing, mm. for collective healing, so for different use. communities to come together and discuss what was a really destabilizing and unsettling period of time. Uh, and for the film and the film events that we've organized to provide us a space that inspires that conversation and engagement. So that was one of the motives. Yeah. Uh, also, the motive as well was to me and Tom as filmmakers who've never worked, never even seen each other before COVID. Yeah. We locked on Tractor Beam to this topic together. And we have worked together as filmmakers in a very generous way with each other. So we've collaborated. And uh, I think one of the strong things for me is is if you look at the collaboration aspect of the film and how it was made, uh, Melanie sending in her documentaries of people desperately trying to find something to do during lockdown on, on the street, on East Street. Simon Holiday sending us in these sound clips and image and video clips of Clubland before lockdown and Dan Johnson drumming in the tunnels. And all this content coming in to us, for me, that huge positive thing of... They talk about this city as a city of sanctuary for people in need. I think the ho all of us were in need of something cultural and strong, and we wanted to provide something that would be a thread that we could all just hold on to and then see where we go together with this. If we all hold on to that thread, <laughs> yeah. then that's a reminder of what we've got out there, yeah. of how special this city is and how we do have a unique way of collaborating and creating art. Yeah. And that was always one of the main intentions for the film as well. That's why it's a question. People coming, out, people coming out of this period where they weren't, in, uh, they weren't able to go out and enjoy that at the, at, mm. on just a base emotional level. I think the film reminds you you've got a place in this city and this city's got a place for you in it. It's a big positive at the end there. Yeah. Um, but you're right, it's, it's been mad people like Simon Holiday being like, thank you yeah. for yeah, repurposing this footage so that yeah. it's got uh, so that it's lived on and had like a a place and an audience mm. to go to mm. you know it's in the archives now <laughs> yeah it was in a way yeah. but we we realized very quick, quickly in the post-production part of the filmmaking process when it's getting these gigs organized that we're not trying to just send this film off to film festivals around the world it's how can this film now be useful to us in bristol and there's a big thing right now of like localism and regionalism, right? Well, we're doing that anyway in mm. Bristol, all of us in the creative sector. So we want to actually like keep making sure this is useful to the city which helped create it, you know? Um, it, the fertilizer for this film is definitely in this, that we can fertilize such positivity in the city with this film. Mm. So we want to work with local arts groups and, and, and uh, cultural uh, groups and arts bodies to actually make sure the film is seen by young people when they maybe aren't uh, currently able to articulate the hurt from lockdown. So, you know, that's something that the film can be very useful as a tool for us all to keep on growing again. So a few days ago, we had the first public screening of the film, uh, which we were kind of describing as a film event, because that event and the next one that we've got lined up, which is the next chance to catch it in the city, is the 9th of November at The Cube. And both, and both screenings have um, a musical performance afterwards from the artists that soundtrack the film. And that feels really fitting for the, the sharing of the film to be alongside artists and musicians who are such a big part of making the film. 
so yeah, the next screening is at the Cube on the 9th of November, and Dan Johnson will be playing uh, an improvised percussion set afterwards to kind of plunge us back into the sound of the film and the sound of lockdown. Mm. One of the things to add is, is what you just a uh, question you've asked about rounding things up, is they often talk about a Bristol having a music scene, you know, Massive Attack, Port mm. said 90s. Well, me and Tom believe there's a film scene here as well, mm. and we feel this film is just part of that new wave of actually telling it how it really is that we all need to hear. Massive thanks to Tom Whitson and Colin Moody for talking to me for the podcast. As Colin and Tom mentioned, if you want to see what does normal look like in the cinema, the film will be screened at The Cube on November the 9th, followed by a live performance by Dan Johnson. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Bristol 24-7 Behind the Headlines podcast. I've been Betty Woolerton, and if you do want to support independent journalism in Bristol, please do consider becoming a member for just £5 a month or £45 a year by heading to our website, which is bristol247.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.